Well, thank you again so much for being here. I, I wrote myself a note after I sat down and said, please introduce yourself because I know we do have visitors here. So my name is David Wilson and I'm the lead pastor here at this campus of Coastal. We are uh, meeting currently in four different places, one on the south side, three on this side, and uh, are thanking God for the opportunity to be here and uh, encouraged at what he's doing. So we're really glad you're here this morning. Uh, listen, find your way to Philippians chapter two. We're going to start there and then be in a few other spots. But while you're getting your way there, let me remind you of a couple of things uh, that are upcoming. Uh, and a couple of them are this coming weekend. So ladies at uh, 9.30 at Yorktown, uh, the Women of the Word activity for Women of Coastal is happening there. Uh, so if you can uh, get yourself free and get there, man, by all means, take advantage of that opportunity. Men, we'll be meeting here, Men of Coastal Breakfast here. Uh, this is our first one, uh, homemade breakfast, I'm told, or made here, but we're not buying it anywhere. And uh, so bring uh, bring a few dollars with you. We're going to pitch in for the cost of that. I think it's seven is the, uh, the amount. But uh, at any rate, uh, be here at eight o'clock, man. We're going to, we'll be in and out in an hour. That's uh, how we kind of do men of coastal here. So we won't take up your whole morning. And Theoretically, you're getting home in time so you can send your wife to the ladies thing. So uh, let's do that this weekend. Then on Sunday night, next Sunday night, we're having a night of prayer. We do those about quarterly here at Coastal. Uh, we do one in the fall as we're heading into our fall season and gearing up and getting things going. So I'd encourage you to come. We'll share in the Lord's Supper together. We'll spend some time praying together, praying over our our teachers and our students as they get underway this year and all of that. So uh, let's uh, make sure we take advantage of that as well. Uh, tonight, now on the first and third Sunday of every month, uh, our prayer team meets on Sunday evening at five o'clock here at the campus. We meet in the fellowship hall and uh, we would love to have you join us. You don't have to necessarily be part of the prayer team to join us, but we'd love to have you here. Uh, we just pray. There's no Bible study, no lengthy thing. We come in, we get together, we share some requests, and we pray. We're uh, seeking God's face regarding the ministry here, so I would love to have you come. Uh, just things to keep in your uh, back of your mind. We're going to be having a church picnic here in a few, well, in a few weeks, not literally here. Uh, there will be information you saw it on the announcement loop today, and small group season is starting soon. I know Pastor Mike Bard mentioned that uh, when he was here. And uh, so lots of stuff. We are gearing up, so hang on, and next thing you know, it'll... No, I don't even want to say it. Um <laughs> because I'm a, I'm a warm weather lover. But at any rate, uh, man, I'm glad you're here. We have embarked, as I said, on this series that talks about how can we be members that will really make a difference. About a year ago, a little, little less than a year ago, Hampton Roads Baptist Church voted to become part of the family of Coastal Church. Uh, it, was, it, it was to me, when a church decides to do that, that demonstrates such a kingdom mindset to me uh, that says we want to continue to be a church that's going to be viable, that's going to serve God, that's going to make a difference in our community. And, and so we have been doing that. And so we're spending time in these few weeks together talking about how can we be the kind of church members 
that will help us to rise above the challenges and the obstacles that are going to come our way that, that I think Satan is going to put in our way. Uh, so we've entitled the series Membership That Matters. And today I want to focus on an issue that is yet another difficult one <laughs> because uh, it, in fact, stems from last week. So last week we talked about being a servant or uh, the humility that's required to be a servant to others and for the Lord, certainly. This becomes an issue when we adopt a mentality that is unfortunately not all that common in our society, and, and I would call it a consumer mentality toward church. A, a mentality that says, what is in this ministry for me? What do you have available for me? What is best for my family. And now I understand we have a responsibility to be able to care for our families, to have a, have a place where our children can be taught the scriptures and can grow and be influenced for Christ. And we want all of those things. But too many people go just long enough to find out if there's something they don't like, and then they move on. And they, I, I call them church hoppers and shoppers. And uh, they, they, there are people who will just be at all sorts of different churches, and if you're around long enough, they may even filter back. Uh, we don't want to be people like that, right? What, what changes? What has to be different? I'm going to talk today about a member that unifies. How do we be the kind of people that will create unity, that will engender unity in a church? Now, I want to dispel any misunderstanding up front about the definition of unity. It does not mean complete agreement on everything, right? Or every church would have a membership of one, right? We, if we are with other people, we will have things that we will not agree on. Whether they are simple, really not that important things, like whether we like warm weather or cool weather, whether we like pumpkin spice everything or not, uh, or whatever. We, there, there may be simple, really unimportant things that we can have fun with or more serious things. But unity in a church is not agreeing on everything. Unity is an unswerving commitment to one another that rises above our disagreements. It rises above the things that we might disagree about on secondary matters, including which things are secondary matters, right? That's always the big argument when you try and figure out, well, what are the things we have to agree on? What are the things that are secondary? And all the things that are secondary are generally the things that you think are important, right? The things I think are important are very important, right? Do you, am I the only one that's that way? Sorry. No, we find the things that are important to us are just important. Unity is an unswerving commitment to each other that rises above disagreement. So let me, let me talk first about the concept of unity. In your notes, you'll find that as the first thing. And I want to go to Philippians 2, and we're going to, come, we're going to swing back in here later. But uh, I, want to, I want to jump in the middle of this where Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and he says to them, I want you to complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That's a lot of ones in the same verse, right? 
It is an appeal for unity. It is an appeal for people to be what Jesus requested and prayed to his heavenly father in John 17, that they may be perfectly one. I tell you what, if churches were like this, I mean, even just themselves, wouldn't it make a difference to the, the culture around us that's watching us that says, oh, but they've got so many arguments and so many this and so many that going on. And the larger a place gets, the harder it is, the more we have to work at unity, right? We work at unity all the time at Coastal because now we are four campuses. And if you think that's going to be the end of it, you need to think again. I'm sure it won't. God is blessing our ministry. We are growing. We're expanding. We have to work at being unified. When you're small, unity is pretty easy. The larger you get, the more we have to work at it. And the goal is that we might be perfectly one. That's what Jesus prayed for. So we need to do that. In order to do that, we need to think the same way. Be of the same mind. That doesn't mean that we have to come to the same conclusions, right? It means we have the same thinking process. We think alike. They tell me that as couples get older, they become more unified as a rule. You, you watch a couple that's been married for a long time. I always think of my, my maternal grandparents who have long ago been with the Lord. Um, they were so much alike. I mean, when they ordered at a restaurant, I, I, this still stands out to me. My grandmother would order first. He would always be a gentleman. You go ahead, you order. And I learned eventually he wasn't just being a gentleman. He just didn't want to have to look at the menu because he would always say, whatever she, she has is fine. I'll have that. <laughs> they thought alike. They had the same process of thinking. They began to... You'll find yourself, and if you've been married a while, you, you probably find yourself now thinking, now I know what you're going to say, right? I'm, I'm talking about this, and I know what you're thinking, right? We don't have to even talk out loud sometimes because we begin to see how each other thinks, and if we are humble and have a servant's attitude like we talked about last week, we begin to accept that this other person has as valid a reason to think what they do as I do. And we work that out. And the longer we do that, the more we demonstrate a humble servant's heart, the more often that's going to be, be developed into unity of thinking. I think it has to do with being concerned for the same things. Now, we're, we're not all concerned for identical things in the details. Some people are more concerned for aesthetics than others. Some people are more concerned for what the music sounds like. Some people are more concerned for how good the preacher is. Some people are more concerned about the children's ministry. And some of that depends on your generation and whether you have kids even, right? There are, there are things that are different about what specific details are important for us. But our concern for our community ought to be the same. We ought to have the same concern for each other we certainly ought to have the same concern for the gospel and its effectiveness through our church family. We ought to be thinking the same way. So in case you ever come up with a great idea for a new ministry here, I can tell you the first email you'll get from me is, tell me how it fits either into Connect 
grow or serve. That's what we do at Coastal. That's how we frame our ministry. So if you want to do something new, great. How does it help people connect to God? How does it help them grow in their walk with Christ? How does it help them engage in service? Because that's what we do. If it doesn't do one of those things, go ahead and do it. But we're not going to sponsor it as a church because we want to think the same way. We want to keep our thinking process similar. Secondly, we're to have the same love. That's, that's talking about mutuality, right? We need to have the same love for each other, the same kind of commitment to each other. We need to have the same kind of uh, love for each other that God has for us. We need to have a self-sacrificial love. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time right here on love because I've made it a whole separate thing to talk about because it's so incredibly important when it comes to unity. So let's move on. Let me go to the, the one that says, in full accord. Literally, it says, one-souled of one soul. You know people who are, who are connected to each other, and man, there's just something about them. You know there is nothing that's going to pull them apart. They've got, it's like they've got just one soul. That's really the, the hope and the prayer and the work of marriage, right? We want to be one. One-souled, harmonious, in full accord, I love our worship team. I can tell you they work diligently at sounding good, right? They work diligently at having it harmonize. If they got up here and just each picked a different sheet of music and started playing, we'd all show up at 11 for the sermon, right? I mean, it would sound horrible. No matter how nicely they each did it, no matter how expertly they each played, if they weren't playing from the same sheet of music, it would sound horrible. This word talks about one accord. Numerous parts, same sheet of music. Numerous voices, same director. And the director is not the guy that stands behind the, the podium. The director is Jesus. We are under his authority and submitted to him, fully in one accord. The same thinking, same love, in full accord, and of one mind We mind the, the one thing. That's talking about unity of purpose. That's why we make such a thing. You may wonder why you hear so often from me, what is our purpose at Coastal? To, uh, to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And we do it by connecting, growing, and serving. You'll hear it so many times. You'll think about it when you're not at church, which, of course, is my goal. But it's unity of purpose. This one-minded thing is unity of what we're going after. It's the reason we're here. I wonder if you have considered even the possibility that you demonstrate unity when you show up at church. I've heard over lots of years now, many people say, oh, you know, I can worship God out when I'm out hunting or fishing or when I'm here or there or whatever, I can be in creation. And you certainly can, but you can't corporately worship and you can't demonstrate unity if you don't come together to worship. That's why we believe corporate's one of the reasons, one of many reasons that we believe corporate worship is such an important thing. 
We demonstrate unity when we show up here together, when we sing together, when we, when we share hugs with one another, when we see each other, when we have chance to interact and find out how each other's doing. We don't get a chance to see each other much throughout the week, maybe. And a phone call here and there is great. But man, it's, it's really good to just look somebody in the eye and give them a hug and let them know how glad you are to see them, to demonstrate unity just by showing up. We demonstrate unity when we commit to the process, when we become part of a small group. You demonstrate unity by making sure you're always there in your small group. It's really important. It's not, it's not just something else we want you to do. It's valuable. It creates unity. And the larger we get, as, as this campus continues to grow, as Coastal continues to grow, it becomes even more important to get connected in relational settings like small groups so we can have people that we can demonstrate unity with. We show unity when we come together to serve. There are a number of people here at this campus who go every month up to our Yorktown campus up to our Yorktown campus. I always point the wrong way. And, and serve together in our food ministry, for example. It's incredible. There are so many unique opportunities. We have our, our ESOL program begins, I think it's Thursday evening this week. They can use you. There are ways to serve. There are people from our campus that are going to Deer Park Fellowship at Newport News to be invested in our ESOL ministry. When we serve together, we demonstrate unity because we are being of one mind. We're minding the same thing. So unity itself is really important. Secondly, if we're going to be a church that is unified, if we're going to be church members that demonstrate unity, we're going to have to learn the art of forgiveness. We offend each other, right? I mean, that's not like a shocking revelation, right? We do things to hurt each other. We say things that we shouldn't. When someone does that stuff to me, what do I do? Now, forgiveness requires a sermon or maybe several. I get it. So we're going to hit on some high spots here today. The first of them begins in Matthew chapter 6. And this is quite a challenging thought to me. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12 is jumping into the middle of the Lord's Prayer, which, by the way, as we move into the fall and into our small group season, the first half of our small group season is going to be spent talking through the Lord's Prayer. We're going to talk about prayer and what it's like. So, so that's just a, a plug for getting there. But we're jumping in right here in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I don't have time to parse that out. So please don't under, understand this to say... If you refuse to forgive, oops, God's going to pull your salvation away and you're no longer forgiven. The point is a forgiving spirit. The point is, if I don't have a spirit that forgives people, if I don't have 
the kind of attitude that says, I'm going to be a forgiving person. I'm not the kind of person that demonstrates that God has forgiven me. There is something really incredible. We cannot expect God to be forgiving with us if we refuse to forgive other people. Do you want to know why? Do you remember the story in Matthew chapter 18? If you're following me, you can go there for a second. Peter came to Jesus and asked a question that we have all asked quietly at one time or another. How many times do I have to keep forgiving this person? Right? Peter said, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? which to him was generous, and that had to do with uh, the law and, and things he had been taught growing up as a Jew. Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or if you read some translations, 490 times, 70 times seven. The point, of course, is not how many times you have to forgive but that we should be forgiving people. It's not a matter of, okay, finally you have crossed the line, talk to the hand, right? There's, no, there's none of that. It's not literal, but there's a, there's a parable that follows it. I'm not going to read down through the whole thing, but the, following this thing, he gives this, this parable about an unforgiving servant. And so he talks about this guy who had accrued this incredible debt of a hundred, excuse me, of 10,000 talents. Now, a talent in scripture is about 16 years wages. So whatever 10,000 times 16 is, I just know I'm not going to live that long. And when the, when the man's master came and said, you owe me this money, he said, please, please, please be patient with me and I'll repay it all. Now, first of all, seriously? Amazingly, his master just forgave him the debt. That's incredible, right? He would never have paid that debt back, no matter how long he lived. He went out and found another servant, a fellow servant, who owed him about 100 days wages. It was, let's see, um, that was 10,000, 100 denarii. A denarius was about a day's wage. Three months or so. Now, that's a huge debt. I mean, if you took everything you earn in the next three months and considered it a debt to somebody else, that's a big debt. The second servant said to the first servant, please be patient with me, I'll pay it back. And he said, are you kidding me? No, you're going to prison until you pay it back, which I didn't study that out enough to understand how that makes any sense to me. But regardless, the point of the parable is not some of us have enough debt that we can pay God back and some of us we just can't. The point is we're all the first one, right? We're all the first servant to whom we owe a debt we could never repay. And God has forgiven us the debt by having his son pay the debt for us. We have been forgiven a debt we could never have recouped from. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe 
because we owed a debt we could never pay. In response to that kind of forgiveness, God expects that we will be forgiving people. Forgiveness doesn't happen when we've had our toes stepped on one too many times or somebody has said something that has just hurt too deeply or it has just gone on too long. Sometimes it's hard to forgive. Listen, it's not easy. The scriptures never suggest, well, just forgive them. It's no big deal, right? It is a big deal. And I know there are so many things in it, like, well, what if, what if they don't acknowledge they've done wrong? Well, what if they haven't asked for forgiveness? And what if this and what if that? The point is we have to be people who have a forgiving spirit, not harboring bitterness. In fact, specifically, Paul tells the Colossians in verse three of, or verse 13 of chapter 3, we are to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you to the same extent. Do you repeat the same things that God has already forgiven you for? Do you ever do that? Come on now. Don't put your hand up. But let's be honest. Paul told the Colossians, we are to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. What if they keep doing it? Listen, there are, there are ways to approach that. There are ways to confront that. That's part of why you have a small group. It's part of why you have a church. Go to your elders. Go to your pastors. Talk to them. Let's get this thing figured out. But don't live in unforgiveness. Listen, I'm telling you, unforgiveness is a, is a prison that you have locked yourself in and you're the only one with the key. Because your refusal to forgive somebody else isn't hurting them at all, but it's killing you. And you know it, right? It's so hard to do. But man, I just, I remember all of the things that I do, that I did it last week, and I asked God to forgive me for it. Because I want my fellowship to be right. And next week... If my pattern continues, I may struggle with it again. But yet, somebody else who has done something a couple, three, four, half a dozen, whatever times, I'm like, nope, that's it. I'm not putting up with that anymore. Aren't you glad God doesn't treat you that way? Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And then the last one, if we want to be members that work for unity, we have to understand what it really means to love each other. By this, Jesus said, all people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. He called it a new command, right? A new command I give to you. And it's in John 13, verses 34 and 35. And he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Why will all people know that if we show love for each other? Because most 
of our culture, most of the world we live in, most of perhaps our backgrounds are filled with a kind of love that is conditional. That is a love that depends on circumstances, depends on behavior. Jesus didn't give a new command in the sense he, it had never been talked about before, but it's new in a sense of emphasis and focus. And, and it's, it is now a defining characteristic of those who follow Christ is that we love our brothers and sisters. In fact, when Paul was talking to the Corinthians about spiritual gifts and so on, he, he got to chapter 13 after he'd gone through this whole thing in chapter 12, which we'll talk a little about in a couple of weeks. He got to chapter 13 and he said, or at the end of chapter 12, and said, you are earnestly desiring the better gifts. I, I think he meant the ones that everybody sees, the ones that are a little more popular. He said, but I show you a better way. I show you a more excellent way. And then he penned what we have as 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about love, right? I got to go. I didn't put it on the screen, but let me read it to you because I love this description of what love is. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He had just talked about the gift of tongues. Doesn't matter how, how impressive my spiritual gifts are. If I don't love, I'm just making noise. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and even of all faith to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. It doesn't matter how visible I am in the church. If I don't love people, it's pointless. And then he defines it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I have to get in my truck after this service and look at my wife and ask her forgiveness, right? Because I don't do all of those things to her. I don't love her the way Christ loves me. We have to love because it is a more excellent way in fact interesting thought here peter describes it as the most important thing first peter 4 8 above all peter says we ought to love above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. It's not talking about covering up sin, right? It's not talking about pretending sin doesn't exist. It is saying people are going to do things that are frustrating and they're, they're even perhaps defined as sinful and they're going to do it to me all the time and I need to allow love to heal that and not have to be so cantankerous and always calling everybody out about everything they do. 
above all. He's been talking about things that should be true in our Christian life above all. Keep loving one another earnestly. Why would he describe it that way? Because love is something I work at. I do it earnestly. It's not a reaction. It's something I do with intention. It's not mushy. It's not uh, overly emotional. It's not just an, oh, they're just such a sweet person. Oh, I just love. I don't know all that many people that are that way. There are a few of you that I'm just like, they are so sweet. How can you help but love them? I know, now we're going to go home and have conversations. So I wonder who he was talking about. And I wonder if it was me. So let me just say, if you're wondering if it was you, it probably wasn't. So (laughs) love is something we engage in. We love each other. We care for each other. We sacrifice ourselves for the sake of another person. If we want to be a member that unifies, we need to work at unity. You know, that's part of, we have a, a, a commitment we make to each other. Some churches call it a church covenant. We, we just call it our commitment we make to one another. One of the main points of that is, I will pursue unity. Because at Coastal, we want to be a church that is known in its community for loving each other, for forgiving each other, for demonstrating oneness, even when we don't agree on every detail. Love is a wholehearted commitment to God's best for another person, regardless of what I get out of it. So, as I said last week, I have written a prayer, and they may be a little lengthier than we're used to reading together, but we're going to do it. And I hope that you can pray this with me as a closing thought, and then I'm going to close our time in prayer. The team's going to come back and lead us in a song as we go. So let's pray this prayer together and ask God to use us to develop and grow unity, all right? Let's, let's pray this together. God, as a part of Coastal, help me to pursue unity so that our community will see us as a choir singing different parts, but the same song. Help me to forgive those that have wronged me with the same freedom you have shown in forgiving me. Above all things, help me to love my brothers and sisters here so all people will know we are your followers. Father, That is the cry of my heart. I pray that as we continue to work our way into a new season of ministry, uh, Lord, you have a a lot of history here on this corner in Hampton. And you have a great future for your own glory here. And Lord, we want to be people who will work toward unity so that With one team, with one mind, we can strive together for the faith of the gospel and see your glory magnified here in this place. Lord, I pray for the the person that might be here this morning that doesn't really exactly know what it means to be part of a family like this. Maybe they've never trusted in Jesus. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to come to perhaps talk to one of our uh, prayer team members that will be standing at the front or, or come find me. Let us talk to them about their relationship with God, how they can know for sure their sins are forgiven and they're on their way to heaven. God, honor your name through us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.